The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Today FM. It all happens here. This is a special repost of an old culture club because unfortunately we've had the sad news of the death of Vicky Phelan, the cancer campaigner, cervical cancer campaigner who sprang to national prominence when she fought the state and got due acknowledgement of what she and other women had gone through because of misdiagnosis and became such an articulate voice in the years that followed and such an inspirational figure to so many Irish people. As it happens, we asked Vicky Phelan at one stage to do Culture Club, which of course is our weekly special with people who talk about their favourite movies and books and music and television and all parts of the arts. And Vicky was absolutely delighted to do it. And as she said to me afterwards, partly to be able to do something that didn't involve a discussion about cancer. So we thought it was fitting to repost this particular Culture Club episode to allow you the opportunity to learn more about one of the most remarkable women that we've ever had the privilege to meet here on The Last Word. This is Vicky Phelan's Culture Club. We're going to start with music and I want you to start with the first single that you'll ever admit to having bought. Yeah, this was very embarrassing and a few of my friends actually asked me, um, are you really going to admit to liking uh, Bross as a band? And I said, well, you know, <laughs> we all have our, our bands that are in the closet and I was, you know, really young, like, you know, 11 or 12 and Quam and Bross were my two first, I suppose, real big musical interests back when I was, you know, 11 or 12 and like, I suppose, all girls that age, you know, boy bands are a big thing and I was no different than everybody else. Yeah, and did you, was it the look that appealed to you or what was it? Yeah, I think they were just very different because they were twins, uh, Matt and Luke Goss, and they were absolutely gorgeous. I mean, they're still good looking men to this day. Um, I became obsessed by them, to be honest, and they had a different look than everybody else. And I had my poor mother and father plagued, you know, mom is really good at knitting and my dad's really good at, uh, he's a carpenter. So they had a particular logo, Bross, where there was one guy standing in the middle and the two guys on either side in a kind of a stick insect or stick man kind of, a, you know, logo, which is very, you know, easy on the eye. And my poor mother and father actually, um, you know, had to make a template of the logo. My mother knitted a jumper for me with the logo on the back and my but dad actually made a template for a desk for ah. my room. Yeah, honestly. That's lovely. Do you still yeah, have them? Uh, Jesus, no, I'd say they're long gone. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he still has the table up in the attic, no doubt, because he's an awful hoarder. Okay, well, we actually, but Wham! still is what you said. The first single you think you ever bought was Wake Me Up Before You Go-Go. Yeah, I think just trying to think back, you know, Wham! came, you know, I was Googling kind of going like the years of the different songs and Wham! definitely came before Bross and they were the first big band, I suppose, that I was into and I remember listening to their songs. And like, I wouldn't really have bought a single because I would have been too young. And I'm sure you remember this now, Matt. I remember trying to explain this to my son where I was taping songs off the radio onto a cassette player. You know, so that's, that's my first single as such. All right, well, let's hear a little bit of Wham!
There's a bit of wham. Vicky Phelan is with us for the Culture Club. We asked you, Vicky, to nominate a favourite album and you actually gave us three. And like many of our previous guests, you gave us answers based on various times in your life where these were very important to you. Tell me first of all about The Stunning and Paradise in the Picture House. Yeah, um, I suppose as I got a bit older, I I moved away from the boy bands and and pop music, really, and I started kind of getting into rock music. um, And I listened to lots of Irish bands, I suppose, uh, like a lot of uh, people of my generation. So something happens, the four of us, the Cranberries, but then The Stunning really became my favourite band. And uh, I remember I was 16. I had to actually actually ask my best friend what year it was because I couldn't remember. But we were 16 and we went to our first, that was our first gig in Waterford. It was called The Thrill on the Hill to See The Stunning. And oh, my God, I'll never forget it. You know, it's just one of those things you remember. Um, and everyone my age and my, you know, all of my friends were playing that uh, album back in the day in 1991. And then you also nominated Alanis Morissette's Jagged Little Pill. Why so? Yeah, I know. Literally, I suppose like a lot of women my age, I know the words. And I'd say if you asked any woman my age, you know, in their 40s, uh, most of them would tell you they know the words of every single song of this album. It reminds me, I suppose, of a time in my life when uh, things were simpler. Um, I was in college and I absolutely loved college. I would have stayed in college, you know, for the rest of my life if I was allowed. I just loved the college life. And I suppose it's an age when you're just finding yourself. Um, I was in my third year in college when this album came out. I remember actually driving home. Um, after finishing my final year project and I was up after doing an all-nighter like most people do drinking the Red Bull in the car on the way home <laughs> and I had that album literally playing you know with the windows wide open trying to keep me awake at the top of uh, singing at the top of my voice it's just it, it brings me back to a great time of my life I loved college and I just I suppose I identified so much with her songs Um, she was very different from a lot of the kind of female singers that were out at the time you know she'd very raw emotion and kind of very honest lyrics and I think you know that's what a lot of women my age at that stage identified with And the one song you've picked out from Jagged Little Pill is You Learn Yeah and you know when I think back and, and actually was picking songs for this uh, you know God, most of the songs I've picked, really, the the lyrics are very apt to kind of my own life. Uh, You know, like the lyrics of You Learn are very apt even today to, you know, the trajectory of my life and what has happened, you know, um, that you learn from experiences and, uh, you know, literally about living your life and uh, and trying to learn from all your mistakes and from past experiences. So I think it's very apt, really, even to this day. Let's hear a little bit from that song. Learn from Jagged Little Pill by Alanis Morissette. And the third album that you uh, also nominated also comes from your time in college, The Red Hot Chili Peppers, by the way, is the album. Tell us about this. 
Yeah, I was kind of torn between two albums, really, with the Chili Peppers. Californication is another, you know, um, big favourite of mine. But I suppose, by the way, as an album, there wasn't one song on that album that I don't like. So I suppose that's why I picked that one. And it came out actually the year before I went to see them in Slane. Um, and that was my favourite gig ever. Um, they were massive at the time, you know, and I suppose when I started college back in 1992, um, Under the Bridge was really a, a big, massive hit that summer. And it just reminds me of kind of that whole period of my life, like the big change from going from secondary school to college. And it just reminds me literally of kind of, you know, good times in college life, drinking, partying, not giving a shit really about anything except having enough money for beer. <laughs> 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 right. Are your children going to be listening to this? <laughs> okay, we have a little bit from that gig as well, from Slane. Uh, this is Under the Bridge, live from Slane Castle. like that day in Slane Castle? Oh, honest to God, Matt, I've been to a lot of um, outdoor festivals, but that was, I, I, that sticks out in my mind, uh, probably because, it, you know, that's why it sticks out for me. The weather was absolutely amazing. Were you at that actually in 2003, no. Ben? And no. I think because I would have enjoyed Foo Fighters. Well, like the three, my three favourite bands at the time were, were playing that day and, and they were absolutely, they played a blinder, Red Hot Chili Peppers, Foo Fighters and Queens of the Stone Age were kind of an up and coming band at the time and oh, I just remember being there with my best friends and Jim actually it was funny I was asking Jim the other day you know when oh, I was getting all these answers ready what was his favourite gig because he's really big into music and I just assumed he'd tell me a different gig it was exactly the same one it was just anyone I know who went to that gig in 2003 at Slane Slane is just a special place I think when a gig's good um, the music the acoustics everything oh, it was just uh, absolutely fantastic Have you missed not being able to go to gigs this year? Oh God, yeah. I think we'd have we were hoping to go to Electric Picnic. Um, I had gone not last year, but the year before, and I'd brought my daughter. Um, and I had never been before to Electric Picnic and just loved it. So you know, please God, now next year we'll get back to to gigs again. I really do miss it. I think it's a huge, um, huge loss actually in COVID for people. Okay, well, let's move on to other things and let's move to movies. And uh, you've given us quite a list of possibilities before you settled on your favourite movie. So so let's go through some of the ones that didn't make it first. What sort of movies do you like? I'm really, I suppose when I look at it, um, I'm really stuck back in the 80s and the 90s, I think. Do you know what it is? I think there's movies back then, um, you know, most of them are Steven Spielberg movies. They're, you know, like big hitters like that. 
just the message of the movies, I think that, you know, they have, they've, they've aged really well. They're real classics. So things like Stand By Me, The Goonies, E.T., uh, Forrest Gump. Um, and then, you know, there's, I threw in some kind of more serious ones like, uh, I love thrillers like Silence of the Lambs. It, for me, will always be, you know, one of the best kind of thrillers I've ever seen. Um, but I love those type of uh, movies like, like E.T. and The Goonies, where it's all about kids and kind of the music is brilliant back in the 80s or the 90s and the camaraderie and the way they kind of figure out, you know, at the end what to do. And there's always a happy ending generally. So, yeah, I just love them. I think they're brilliant movies. Although you're also a fan of the likes of the Coen brothers, the Big Lebowski. Yeah, yeah. So I'm, I, it's funny, I, I said I better throw in a, a, a comedy in there because, you know, most of the ones I, I've put in are either kind of kids' movies or very serious. So, yeah, I was trying to think of a couple of comedy movies and that was one that really stuck with me. Um, and I've, I'd watch again and again. Um, I actually watched it. It's on Netflix. So I, I watched it again just to remind myself. So, yeah, I really, really enjoyed it. Yeah, I only watched it a couple of months ago as well. But you've gone for Back to the Future as your favourite movie. Why so? Um... I've watched it actually recently with my son. So my son is nine now and I'm starting to watch some movies like this over and over again with the kids, you know, as they get older. And it's great. It gives you a chance to kind of see what they think of the movies. And uh, so myself and Dara sat down to watch the first one there about two weeks ago. And we watched the second one last week and uh, he just loved it. And, you know, it's funny. Sometimes when you go back to watch movies, you know, 10, 15, 20 years later, you can't, you know, your kids are kind of going, this isn't good, ma'am, you know, but he absolutely loved it. And I just think the whole idea of Back to the Future, you know, about um, they were so, you know, kind of fairly accurate about where the world was going to be um, that, uh, you know, it, it kind of has stood the test of time. And I just think the relationship between, you know, Michael J. Fox as Marty and, and, and uh, Doc and, you know, just the whole way uh, they depict kind of family relationships is really quite accurate, you know, that, you know, there's a bit of dysfunction in some of the families and, you know, what would happen if you did, you know, one thing differently. I just really like that idea. Well, the clip we have doesn't have Doc in it, but it has Marty played by Michael J. Fox meeting his young father played by Crispin Glover at the diner and he watches him get bullied by Biff. Hey McFly, what do you think you're doing? Biff. Hey, I'm talking to you, McFly, you Irish bunk. Oh, hey, Biff. Hey, guys. How are you doing? Yeah, you got my homework finished, McFly? Uh, well, actually, I figured since it wasn't due till Monday. Hello? Hello? Anybody home? Hey, think, McFly. Think. I gotta have time to recopy it. You realize what would happen if I hand in my homework in your handwriting? I'll get kicked out of school. You wouldn't want that to happen, would you? Would you? Well, now, of course not. No, I wouldn't no. want that to happen. What are you looking at, butthead? Hey, Biff, get all of this guy's life preserver. Dork thinks he's gonna drown. Yeah. So, uh, how about my homework, McFly? Uh, okay, Biff. Well, I'll, uh, I'll finish that on up tonight, and then I'll, uh, bring it over first thing tomorrow morning. Okay, not too early. I sleep in Sunday. Oh, mm -hmm. McFly, your shoe's untied! Oh, oh, <laughs> don't be so gullible, McFly! Okay. I don't want to see you in here okay. again. Okay. <laughs> all right, bye-bye. <laughs> What? You're George McFly. Yeah, who are you? Say, what do you let those boys push you around like that for? Well, they're bigger than me. Stand tall, boy. Have some respect for yourself. Don't you know if you let people walk over you now, they'll be walking over you for the rest of your life. Look at me. You think I'm going to spend the rest of my life in this slop house? Watch it, Goldie. No, sir. I'm going to make something of myself. I'm going to night school. And one day, I'm going to be somebody. That's right. He's going to be mayor. Yeah, I'm going to... Mayor, now that's a good idea. 
Back to the Future. We will be back after this break with more of the Culture Club. And this week's guest is Vicky Phelan. Join us after this. Welcome back to the Culture Club on The Last Word of Today FM. Today's guest is the cancer campaigner, Vicky Phelan. Uh, Vicky, you're big into your musicals, are you? Yeah, um, I, not, I was never a huge fan, but then my daughter came along and she loves them, I have to say. So I've started kind of, you know, watching more of them and, and you know, bringing her to a couple of shows. And, uh, you know, I really kind of was stuck uh, picking two musicals that, you know, have kind of that have meant a huge lot to me. But I suppose we recently, just before lockdown, literally, I think it was two weeks before we locked down, we went to London for Dara's birthday. And I took the kids to see the musical, um, the show Matilda, um, because Dara had read it in school, read the book last year and loved it. Um, you know, both of my kids, I think everybody's kids probably loves Roald Dahl books anyway. Um, but he had loved it. And I just thought the fact that he'd read the book was probably a good one to bring him to as his first show. And it was just absolutely amazing. I mean, you know, it just makes the difference to go to, you know, London um, to see, a, you know, a show and pay the extra bit for the tickets because the shows are just spectacular. Like the three of us literally, you know, were glued to our seats for the whole show uh, and just really, really loved it. Had you read um, the book yourself as a child? Yeah, yeah. Oh God, I was a huge reader. So I read from kind of an early age and had read all of those books. Uh, I, and actually I had kept my copies. Uh, my mother had got a box set for me when I was young um, and kept it for me. So I gave it on then to Amelia when she was old enough to start reading them, which was lovely. Okay, we actually have a little bit of the uh, Broadway cast of Matilda singing Revolting Children. That is Revolting Children from Matilda. The other musical that you picked out was one for a very strong personal reason that it connected with you when you saw it as a movie and Amelia for her as well. Tell us about The Greatest Showman, why you've picked that out, please, Vicky. Yeah, um, this movie just blew me away when I went to see it in the cinema with Amelia. Um, Even though I knew what the kind of movie was about, about accepting difference and that difference is good um, and you know to try and get that message across to, to kids I suppose everywhere that just because somebody looks different doesn't mean that they're you know they're bad or that you should be bullying them and I just thought they really did a, a, a fantastic job of kind of getting that message of acceptance and tolerance across but what I wasn't expecting was 
you know, some of the songs, they literally put the hair standing on the back of my neck. I suppose myself and Amelia both have a lot of scars. My daughter was badly burned in an accident at home. Um, I had, you know, a very bad car accident. And one of the songs um, sung by uh, Keela Settle was the name of the girl called This Is Me is about kind of loving and accepting yourself, kind of scars and wounds and all. And I just it really actually the two of us were in floods of tears after it. just couldn't, you know, we just felt seen. You know, there was something about that movie that the two of us kind of just felt that, you know, it, it, it really touched a nerve with both of us, I think, because of our own experiences. You mentioned earlier that you read an enormous amount as a child. Have you continued reading a lot through adulthood? Oh, God, yeah. I have about seven books on the go at the moment, um, Matt, because I have books in the car. So if I'm in the car for a long trip, I generally listen to audiobooks. Um, <clears throat> so I would have a book in the car. I'd have a book at home. Um, and then, you know, I try and have a kind of a fiction book and then maybe something that's nonfiction. So I move around. So, yeah, I read quite a lot. OK, so what stands out? I can't ask you for one single author or one particular book, but tell us what jumps out for you. As kind of favourite books that I've read. Um, well, my favourite author, um, I kind of had to think about this a lot because I suppose I read so many different things, but um, the one I keep going back to, and it's only been recently, I suppose he's a new enough author in the last number of years, is Khaled Hosseini. I've read all of his books, but my favourite one was uh, A Thousand Splendid Sons. And it's not the type of novel that I normally would read. It's like an epic novel that kind of spans a 30 year period following Afghanistan's history right up to the US invasion. Um, and the book is kind of about hardship and the oppression of women, but it's also a book about love and survival um, as well. And I just love the way he writes. Uh, um, and I've read all of his books so far and looking forward to the next one. Um, but another book, I suppose. That Sorry, really just before you get to another book, because I think we actually have an extract from that. So we'll play a clip from the audiobook of A Thousand Splendid Sons. I took you there once to the tree. You were little. You wouldn't remember. It was true. Mariam didn't remember. And though she would live the first 15 years of her life within walking distance of Herat, Mariam would never see the story tree. She would never see the famous minarets up close, and she would never pick fruit from Herat's orchards or stroll in its fields of weed. But whenever Jalil talked like this, Mariam would listen with enchantment. She would admire Jalil for his vast and worldly knowledge. She would quiver with pride to have a father who knew such things. What rich lies, Nana said after Jalil left. Rich man telling rich lies. He never took you to any tree. And don't let him charm you. He betrayed us, your beloved father. He cast us out. He cast us out of his big fancy house like we were nothing to him. He did it happily. Mariam would listen dutifully to this. She never dared to say to Nana how much she disliked her talking this way about Jalil. The truth was that around Jalil, Mariam did not feel at all like a harami. For an hour or two every Thursday, when Jalil came to see her, all smiles and gifts and endearments, Mariam felt deserving of all the beauty and bounty that life had to give. And for this, Mariam loved Jalil, even if she had to share him. A Thousand Splendid Sons by Khalid Hosseini. Tell us about the other book you were just about to mention there, Vicky, please. Um, yeah, The Book Thief. Um, so The Book Thief by Marcus Zusak. Um, so it's set in Nazi Germany. And what I really thought, I, I actually struggled with this book at the start. I had to read it twice. I started it and I couldn't get into it. And then everybody kept telling me it was brilliant. So I kind of kept going back to it and I persevered because it, they use death is used as the narrator in the book, which is kind of really strange to get your head around when you're reading it. Um, but once I got into it and passed the first few chapters, I could not put it down. You know, it's a really difficult read. 
because so many people um, in the, the the main character's life, Liesel, die. Um, obviously, you know, when you think about when it's set back in Nazi Germany. But what's remarkable to me, I suppose, what really um, endeared this book to me um, was the importance of reading and of books and the power of literacy. Um, and because I suppose of where I worked, I worked in adult literacy for years and I really see the importance of people being able to read um, and the power of literacy for, to give people control over their lives. Um, that's what I really loved about this book, you know, about the main character learns how to read and she becomes empowered. And I, I just thought that was a fabulous message to get across. Okay. And you're a big Stephen King fan as well. Yeah, I love Stephen King books. Um Read, read quite a lot of them. Uh, I generally tend to listen to them now on audiobooks because his books are so big, <laughs> it would nearly put you off trying to read them because they're huge, big tomes, you know. Um, but one that really stuck with me, and it's not actually a novel, um, like my favourite ones, I suppose, if I was to pick them, was I Loved Misery, The Green Mile. And he wrote a book actually with his son recently called Sleeping Beauties, which was very good. But um, he wrote this memoir called On Writing. So it's kind of a memoir, but it's also a kind of a writing one-on-one. And at the time, I was kind of toying with the idea of writing a book. And this was about maybe seven or eight years ago. Um, but I wasn't expecting to kind of read in the book about uh, his accident. I hadn't known that he had a really bad accident. He nearly died, you know. Um, and it just gives you an insight into how he became a best-selling author, but also um, the accident that nearly killed him. And he kind of wrote about uh, how writing saved his life and spurred him on to want to recover. And really, you know, it really helped me, to be honest, in my yeah, own life. It, when does that really resonate with you because of your own car accident when you were young, which, you know, killed others and could have killed you? Absolutely. Um, but that really, I, I totally identified with, with everything he said and all of the feelings that he was feeling um, and, and the kind of guilt that he felt you know, that he survived uh, and somebody else didn't. Do you know that? Because I would have stopped, had that problem for years. But also the power that writing gave him to kind of get back uh, and living again. And that's kind of what I had done after my accident. I had kept journals and any kind of time I felt, you know, down and I would have done this over the years, I would write. Um, and then to see, you know, a best-selling author kind of, you know, telling me kind of what I've been doing was what he had done to recover, I thought was uh, very validating for me. Okay, let's move on to television. And we sort of break this into two and what you like in modern day television. But also we ask people to go back and part of the Culture Club to what they loved as a child and teenager. And you've got some list from back then, I have to say, Vicky. (laughs) Yeah. uh, So do you want to start with kind of back in the day? Yeah, go on, go back there. Yeah. Get for the nostalgia for a lot of listeners, I think. This really shows my age now, I suppose. I remember mentioning some of these to the kids and they were like, what are you talking about, Mum? I never heard about these. Oh, so sure. a, lot of them been, a lot of them have been remade since. Yeah, exactly. So I have a vivid memory on Saturday evenings um, of being at home. Uh, there was five of us in the family. I was the oldest and my sister's the youngest. And we would have a bath on a Friday or Saturday night, all of us, one in after the other. And the big thing like that carrots that mum used to give us to make sure that we'd have our bath and get into our pajamas and behave ourselves was to watch the A-Team and MacGyver. <laughs> on, on. You remember that? I do, I do. Uh, so they they are definitely um, two big um, shows that we would have watched religiously now when I was younger. Um, another one then was Knight Rider and one called The Scarecrow and Mrs. King. I don't know, do you remember I that? I do vaguely remember it. It was a sort of an investigative thing, wasn't it? It was, yeah. She kind of became this investigator by accident. Um, the guy, Scarecrow, was his kind of code name, um, was in trouble and he handed her something off a train um, and she kind of got involved then and trained up to be this investigator and they had a romance, obviously, and all of that. But Jesus, you know, I, I mentioned it to a few people and they went, oh my God, yeah. 
Um, but yeah, that they were they were the ones that kind of really um, remind me of kind of you know my childhood, I suppose. And then as I got older, like most teenagers, it was Beverly Hills nine hundred two one zero. Oh, that's like um, the television equivalent of you loving brass and wham for the music, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, and the Fresh Prince of Bel Air would have been big then as well. So they were kind of the things I got into. Um, back in, you know, say between my childhood and my teenage years. And then modern day stuff, what do you really go for? So now, <clears throat> modern day stuff, I suppose I do a mixture of um, kind of serious stuff and um, comedy. So comedy, my favourite one, I have two favourites, uh, Modern Family and Shits Creek. I just think they're fantastic shows, both of them. Um, and they're fairly relatively recent. I actually started watching Modern Family during the lockdown. I hadn't seen it at all when it oh, came well out. Oh, well then, great to be able to catch up on it because some of it is absolutely wonderfully funny. It is. It's actually brilliant. I love it. I just keep, and the, you know, the beauty of it, they're so short, the episodes, they're only 22 or three minutes. You could just keep watching two or three episodes and it's nice and short. Um, but I just love the way they kind of depict, I mean, it's obviously over the top at some of it, but it is quite, you know, um, realistic as well as to the way well, families. We actually have up. a couple of, uh, of scenes from Modern Family featuring Ed O'Neill as Jay and Sophie Vergara as Gloria. I always wanted a daughter to dress her up in pretty dresses, do her hair, her nails, her makeup. <laughs> no one knows this, but for the first year of his life, I made up money like a girl and told everybody that he was my daughter. <laughs> I bet just for a few times. I didn't want to mess with his head. When he found the pictures, I told him that it was his twin sister who died. Just because everybody else is late doesn't make it okay for us to be late. I can't get ready fast with all the yelling. wasn't yelling. You see, you're doing it again. Gloria, you do this every single time. If you know how long it takes you to get ready, why don't you start early? I have my reasons. I'd love to know. You're going to be mean. I promise I won't be. I like to make an entrance. What's that now? I like the part where I go in and everybody's waiting for me and they say, Gloria, you look so pretty and that dress is so beautiful. Is that so bad? Hey, Jay, where's Gloria? She's, uh, she was here they a second. They are my boys. Gloria, you look so pretty. The dress is so beautiful. <laughs> Ah, yes, I have to say, Vicky, it's the one thing that gets all our family watching television together as well. We're nearly out of time, but I have one that I'm very amused to see. Given that we know you as a cancer campaigner, that you decided to identify with Breaking Bad and Brian Cranston as Walter White. Is there something you're trying to tell us? <laughs> no, not at all. Um I just thought Breaking Bad was brilliant. I remember watching Brian Cranston when uh, he was the dad and Malcolm in the middle. And I remember, you know, I, again, a bit like Modern Family, I was late getting into Breaking Bad. I watched it kind of when it was well over um, and watched it back. Um, but I couldn't picture Brian Cranston as this, you know, bad guy. I thought, Jesus, you know, he was like really kind of nerdy and kind of the, you know, a big com comedic character in, in Malcolm in the Middle. And then when he started off in Breaking Bad, he was the real nerd kind of uh, chemistry teacher and you couldn't imagine him kind of turning over to the other side. But Jesus, does he do it so well, doesn't he? I absolutely loved it. I thought it was a fantastic show. And so thank you for listening to our reposting of that Culture Club, which was recorded in September 2020 with Vicky Phelan, who has sadly passed away after that long battle with cancer, with cervical cancer. And we decided to repost that Culture Club because it was just a great example, we thought, of 
the fantastic way in which Vicky Phelan embraced life and made the most of what she could despite various things that had happened during that tragically short life, only 48 years as it turned out to be. And we know that she greatly enjoyed doing the Culture Club in September 2020 to have something else to talk about that wasn't cancer related. So reposting it is just our tribute to one of the most brilliant guests that we've had on The Last Word over the last 20 years or so. So that's our tribute to the great Vicky Phelan. The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Weekdays from 4.30. Today.